Hi, and welcome to the Big Rethink podcast. I'm Joanna Seymour-Taylor, and I will be your host for today's episode. Today's episode focuses on scenario planning. Scenario planning has been identified as one of the best approaches to address critical uncertainty around the future. At Amadeus, our corporate strategy team embarked on this project last year. Working with leading scenario planning agency Stratformer, the team evaluated potential threats and opportunities in different long-term scenarios, all to help consolidate Amadeus' strategy moving forwards. And this is what we're here to talk about today. But before we start, I must say that while this type of work is vital to anticipate the emerging challenges and potential opportunities, as well as to stress test and reevaluate our strategy, it's important to note that this is not forecasting. We're not making predictions. But instead, we're trying to understand the trends and the drivers that are likely to shape the future. So let's jump straight in. Today's guests that I have the pleasure of hosting are Nick Turner, founder and managing partner of Stratformer, and Wolfgang Cripps, Senior Vice President, Corporate Strategy at Amadeus. Hello. Welcome. Hello. Hello. So Wolfgang, let's go back to the beginning. Can you tell us why you and your team decided to carry out this scenario planning exercise? Yes, happy to do so. So it, it, it all goes back to strategy. When you're doing strategy, what does it mean? What you try to do is you try to anticipate the future. Now, in order to do that, you need to make lots and lots of assumptions, right? Some of them are less relevant. Some of them are extremely critical. And the point is, if you suddenly see or if you have the feeling that some of the assumptions that are making, you're not super sure that that is the way how you think it's going to evolve. If you have to admit there are things or parts of certain critical assumptions that you're making that you actually don't know how they're going to evolve, that's then the time when you need to start thinking from my perspective about scenario planning. I give you a hint on what were, for instance, the key questions or key challenges that we were facing when we started the work with Stratformer. When we started the work, we were in the midst of the COVID crisis, right? So the question was, okay, will travel ever come back to the levels that it was before? What will be the impact of Greta Thunberg's work on sustainability? Will that have a long-term impact on demand? How is the geopolitical situation going to evolve? Will it impact our ability to operate in certain jurisdictions? Will it impact the ability or will it impact international travel, the demand for international travel overall? So these things were all questions where we had to admit at that point in time, honestly said, we don't know in which direction it would be going. It could be going in this direction or in that direction, which ultimately brings you to the conclusion, if you want to deal with this in a comprehensive way, that you have to look at least at certain archetypes, kind of model futures in which, let's say, these critical dimensions are expressed in different ways. And then you need to think in this model future, okay, what would I be doing as Amadeus here and draw the conclusions for your current strategy? And that's why we started with the work. Okay, yeah, those are some really big questions. So understand where you're coming from and why you guys wanted to take out this exercise. So Nick, bringing you in here, can you take us through the process? How does scenario planning work? Where do you guys start? Sure. So as Wolfgang has implied, uh, we start with the premise that trying to predict the future is a somewhat futile act. 
and also the basic premise that being roughly right is better than being exactly wrong. And scenario planning really is, as a strategic thinking process, an outside-in approach to thinking about how the world may evolve. And we're trying to help leaders to both explore and understand the potential business environment within which they may have to operate. As Wolfgang said, my colleague Matt Rayner and I, Matt is based in San Francisco, were basically given two objectives. The first one was to stress test Amadeus's assumptions about how travel would rebound post-pandemic. And then the second one really was to explore how the next five to 10 years, the drivers of change may actually transform the travel sector. So it was both a short-term stress test of a set of assumptions, but also a long-term exploration of how the future may unfold. And essentially, scenario planning takes you through three conversations. The first conversation is about what if. Let's imagine how the world may unfold. Let's imagine how some of our assumptions may be challenged. The second conversation is, so what? What if those things actually unfold? What if those scenarios or those stories of the future actually unfold in the way that we have envisioned? What does that mean for us, for our customers, for our competitors, our marketplace, et cetera? So we have a robust conversation about, so what? The third conversation then is about what next? What do we actually do to prepare for an unknown future? So we need to come back to the present, acknowledge we don't know what's going to happen, and can we construct a portfolio of options that allows us to position for the future? And the fast part of the process in terms of going through the three, three conversations really is about exploring the macro drivers across the so-called steep mnemonics, so social, technological, economic, environmental, and political all those drivers that may shape the future, in this case, over the next five to 10 years. And we did some extensive research, which was a combination of desktop research, our own databases, working with Wolfgang and his team and documentation that they had, but also a series of internal interviews with subject matter experts from across Amadeus, but also going out to external folks, people outside Amadeus, people who had expertise in particular areas. We spoke to People like Steve Weber, for example, who's a professor at UC Berkeley, a professor in political economy. We spoke to Kathy Hackle, who's an expert in the metaverse. But we also spoke to experts on China, on sustainable tourism, on the foundation of networks and community, really to get that outside-in perspective and challenge to how the future may unfold and pressure test some of the assumptions we have about how the future unfolds. From that, we came up with well over 100 different macro drivers. And these macro drivers are largely outside the control of a commercial organization, including Amadeus. And then through a series of, indeed, online conversations with both Wolfgang, his team, and also the executive committee, we winnowed down those 100 different drivers, initially to 14, and then to four. And then ultimately, our goal was to come up with two so-called critical uncertainties to build a framework around which then we could construct four different scenario narratives, stories of the future. And a critical uncertainty is a way to define it. Essentially, is something we know is going to be really fundamentally important in terms of shaping the future business environment. But the way it plays out is really quite unclear. So once we get down to our two, we'll then able to start to put our scenarios. And the two uncertainties that we determined, and this is largely through a trial and error process that we went through with the executive committee to figure out which were the most important uncertainties that they saw shaping the future of their business environment. And sometimes these correlate to supply and demand, sometimes not. The first one definitely did. So the first uncertainty we looked at was essentially what are the drivers of demand? And if you can imagine an axis of uncertainty, a spectrum of uncertainty, and one extreme 
we saw consumerism, the desire to consume, almost at the exclusion of thinking through the costs involved of doing so. At the other extreme, we saw values or policy-driven demand, which may be focused much more around environmentalism, political activism, and conscious consumerism, etc. So a very different set of values that were driving consumerism. The second critical uncertainty we looked at, we call borders and barriers. And at one extreme, we saw that being much more open and inclusive, and the other less open and exclusive. And this applied not only to kind of physical borders and barriers, but also to technology, to data, political mindsets, etc. And once we crossed these two axes, we then had four quadrants, which gave us the logic of the four different scenarios that we use for the what-if conversation. Wow, Nick, what a journey going from 100 down to two. I'm really intrigued. So I'm going to stay with you. What are the four different scenarios then that are plotted within these axes? So we initially came up with the scenario stories, the scenario logics, which again, the executive committee developed. They very much developed them. They own them. They're their scenarios. The first scenario we came up, we called Don't Stop Me Now. And this is a scenario where we saw you know, consumer-driven demand, much more open It's a story of global economic growth, digital innovation, and consumers are enjoying the benefits of being in a more open world with more choice, innovation, and greater opportunities for all. And we saw growth, I think, come largely from Asia, from India, from China, and broader markets in Southeast Asia. So that was our first scenario. Each scenario, we try and give a kind of movie title name to, to encapsulate the logic and make it easier to remember. If I cross the framework, the second scenario which we came to was turbulent times. This has a very opposite logic to don't stop me now. So this is a less open world and a world driven more by value policies. This is where potentially where we see rising populism, greater political instability, more nationalistic foreign policy, fear and response to greater climate change, potentially breeds a scarcity mindset with concerns about migration and also potential further pandemics. And policy here focuses more on securing both physical and digital borders. So we may see more bilateral agreements, we may see natural champions dominating, and technology has probably been used as an alternative for travel to connect and to escape. If I then essentially move north in our framework, we came to a world we call block party. And this also was a world which is less open But rather than fragmenting down to the national level, we saw different like-minded social economic blocks being created with kind of common rules, common norms, technology-enabled standards, which enabled smoother travel within blocks, but there was greater friction between the blocks, if that makes sense. And we also potentially saw economic growth rates diverging across those different blocks. So this potentially was a world of both have and have-nots. Then our final scenario was a world where, yes, we have a more open world, but actually the way that demand is driven is much more values-based. So here we saw a world that had uh, shared bold policy agendas, which are created in response to both extreme climate and deepening economic crises. We see technology being very much part of the solution, so it's improving the sustainability of travel and promoting innovative substitutes. And from a values perspective, we're seeing sort of stakeholder capitalism and conscious consumption driving the way that people think about and consume travel. So back to Wolfgang's point, very much kind of Greta's world, as we see a different relationship evolving between travelers, operators, and destinations. So these are our four scenarios that we then used to move into the next phase and think about so what and what next. I had no idea the scenarios were named after movies. So Wolfgang, what movie are we living in today's world? 
<laughs> are we leaning towards one scenario over another? No, look, the interesting thing is you're seeing four movies at the same time, <laughs> right? So the thing is, that's what I meant before when I talked about archetypical futures, right? So we looked at certain scenarios that combined, let's say, the critical uncertainties in a more or less extreme way. Why do you do this? Because there you can very nicely crystallize out what are the key actions that you need to take. And later on, you want to fold this back in your strategy. I think I'll come to that later a bit. But let's say, as I said, the future is a mixture of all these scenarios. And we have actually seen that, right? We're seeing a bit of, let's say, overall, you would be saying the amount of block party that has come into the present today, and that was the future in the past when we did the exercise, has certainly increased, right? You see a continuous move to blocks trying to become more autonomous, more sovereign. And you see this, for instance, in different ways, how people were dealing in the past with COVID, how people are dealing also today with sustainability, even in blocks that are friendly to each other, right? Let's say the Europeans are dealing with sustainability in a very different way, like, for instance, the Americans, right? So this whole decision framework has become much more block-oriented. And it means also that these blocks act on their own. And it increases, obviously, the complexity for companies like Amadeus that want to operate globally, right? And it's not only that, let's say, friendly blocks have different regulation or different processes, but as uh, Nick pointed out, you might be in, let's say, in ultimate consequence, be politically prevented from operating in other blocks. So. As I said, we'll be seeing all futures today, but clearly the move is more towards block party. Yeah. And at least currently, it does not seem that this trend would reverse anytime soon. So it's great to hear about those scenarios in more detail and kind of where you see where we're at in the world at the moment and understand it's very fragmented. But how do we put all of this into practice, Wolfgang? So I understand you and the team have been on this journey, but now how do you put this scenario planning exercise? How do you plug it back into Amadeus? How does it form our strategy? And also, how are we using it with customers? Quite a lot of questions, Joe. (laughs) So let's see how we dissect this. So first, how do we take the learnings from the scenario planning and put it back in our current strategy? So overall, I think Nick pointed this out a bit. We're talking here in scenario planning about things that can happen, but don't need to happen. So it's a risk mitigation exercise, right? So you're looking at risks that you are exposing your current strategy to. And that's exactly the way how we dealt with it. We looked at each of those futures. We said, which actions would Amadeus take in this kind of future in order to be successful and benefit from the environment. And then first you're looking at actions that appearing in more than one of those scenarios, right? And you could be arguing, let's say, if there are actions that appearing in all four scenarios, we call those no regret actions. These are actions that you should be taking anyhow, because regardless of how the future is going to evolve, at least with respect to these critical uncertainties, you should be taking this action because you will be benefiting from that. Second thing is obviously our actions 
that appear in more, but not in all of the scenarios. Also, those actions you need to look at. But here the question is, when is the right time to pull the trigger on those actions? Because if, let's say, these scenarios where these actions are beneficial become less and less probable, then there is no reason to execute on these. So you need to think about what are early indicators that give you a bit of an idea whether the mix changes and you're getting, as I said before, for instance, more block party in the mix, which meant obviously all actions that are related to block party are becoming quote unquote more relevant and shift up in the list of actions to potentially be executed, right? So this is basically how you bring this into your current strategy and you say, okay, for instance, if I'm seeing these early indicators, these and these and these actions become on the list of being actions to get executed. So that is the question on how do we fold the results back into our strategy. Now to your second question is, okay, are we using this with our customers? How do we use this externally besides this podcast and tons of blogs that we've done? So let's say the thing is, these discussions on the future and the macro level are obviously relevant in part in individual customer discussions, but much more at an industry level, right? So for instance, if you talk to YATA, if you talk to the OECD, these discussions become extremely relevant. So it's something that we can use as part of our discussion with regulators, with interest groups, and we're doing this, or investors, right? Because look, all these things that we were considering in our strategy are supporting our speech and our narrative towards investors in order to explain why we think what we are doing is future safe. Now, obviously, in customer discussion, it becomes relevant by getting an alignment with the customer on, okay, what situation are you in? How do you see this? And what are potentially changing needs from your side, Mr. or Mrs. Customer, with respect to the stuff or the services that you need from Amadeus. So it's also a very good discussion starter and that kind of framing things and particularly getting everyone on the page on potential changes that people are typically not looking at because they are very focused on their core strategy, right? Or on their core direction of what they want to do. I think it's a really interesting point, actually, the fact that Amadeus is looking at it from an industry perspective, because I think that's something we do a lot of. So we're coming to an end, but I want to come back to you, Nick, before we head out. And you've worked on many different projects, I'm sure, with many different clients. What's your kind of view on this project? Were there anything surprising or any kind of moments that stood out to you? Yes, thanks, Joe. I think there are sort of three or four features that make this project really quite special. The first one is that in the three and a half, four months of this project, I never met anybody, sadly, from Amadeus face-to-face. Now, Wolfgang broke the rule, and he actually met my colleague, Matt Rainin, for dinner in San Francisco last week. So that was the first contact that either Matt or I have had with anybody at Amadeus. So the entire engagement was virtual. And of course, that was forced upon us because of the rules around the pandemic and the restrictions in place at the time, which, of course, Amadeus knows all about. But it's quite extraordinary. Had you said to me three years ago, Nick, you can work with Wolfgang and his colleagues and the CEO at the very top of the house on a big, important strategic project, and you'll never meet, never meet them in person. You'll never have an in-person workshop. I never would have believed it. So I was incredibly impressed that Wolfgang and his colleagues were able to be responsive and 
commit to a series of online workshops, which we broke up into small chunks to get through, which is quite a complicated set of discussions and process a lot of information in a very comprehensive and, and impressive way. So that was kind of point number one, which made this very, very different and very impressive, I think. Two, I think, and this is a really important success factor for all scenario planning, which was there was real engagement from the very top of the organization, the real ownership for the process, and importantly, ownership for the outcomes of the process, which leads into my, my next point, which is, you know, we started this journey 18 months ago, and yet it's still a live conversation inside Amadeus. It's still driving strategic thinking. It's still driving communications. The fact that we're doing this very podcast is illustration of that. And I think it's very impressive that this has become part of the culture at Amadeus in terms of telling stories about the future and going through that conversation in terms of let's imagine what if, so what, and also what next. And then lastly, I think, you know, very importantly, I hope that this process has left Amadeus in great shape, certainly to navigate the last 18 months where we have seen a bounce back in travel, particularly in the leisure sector, which is something we talked about Wolfgang quite a bit, anticipating that would happen. And has allowed, I think, Amadeus to be well positioned for that and respond to that in quite sharp contrast to some other players in the travel sector who I think were caught out by the upside. They were caught out by the bounce back. They had cut too deeply in response to the pandemic and then were simply unable to respond to the volume of demand that came back, leaving them both taking hits in terms of both revenue and also reputation. Well, that sadly brings us to the close of this podcast. And I just wanted to say a really big thank you to today's guests. And I hope everyone who is listening, you enjoyed listening as much as I enjoyed hosting. I think for me, it's really apparent that Amadeus never stops moving. Doing things like the scenario planning project is a a good example of this. I think we're always looking ahead as a business. As we continue to assess the world around us, hopefully we're supporting our customers in their strategies as they evolve. Something that really stood out to me, and Nick, I've heard you say this a few times, but just to bring a spotlight back to it, it's better to be roughly right than exactly wrong. I really like that as a quote. So just finally, this podcast is brought to you by Amadeus, uh, the leading travel technology company. And please stay up to date on our latest news and catch the next episodes in our series. Check them out on our insights section and our website or follow us on Spotify or Apple. So thank you, Wolfgang. Thank you, Nick. It was a pleasure. And until next time.